Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi. This is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. It is not power that corrupts, but fear. Fear of losing power corrupts those who wield it, and fear of the scourge of power corrupts those who are subject to it. These words, spoken by Aung San Suu Kyi, a Burmese author and civil leader, reflect almost perfectly the biblical teaching about fear and the power of death. King Herod a man who would sell his people's honor to appease their occupiers. King Herod, who in Matthew would murder children to safeguard his throne. King Herod, who ordered the execution of the Lord's prophet to save face on an oath made against that which was not his. King Herod, the last in a line of impostors who would dare to sit on God's throne in Judea. King Herod, you successfully murdered John, but you cannot stop his teaching. There is no wall, no prison, no form of execution that can help you now. Not even the power of death, which you so carelessly wield, can save you. As St. Paul, the least of the apostles, proclaimed, The Lord, whom you murdered, is coming in power, and he will put all things in subjection under his feet. For he will avenge the blood of his servants, and render vengeance on his adversaries, and will atone for his land and his people. It's your move, Herod. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 14 to 29. You're listening to the Bible as literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 162 of the Bible as Literature podcast. We continue our discussion of Mark chapter 6, moving on to verse 14. And King Herod heard of it, for his name had become well known, and people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead, and that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. Richard, hearing this verse this morning in our discussion, I can't help but think of the last two chapters of Acts, which we just wrapped up in the Ephesus school. Father Paul Tarazzi argues that the travelogue, so to speak, recounts the whole story of Paul's struggles early on with Barnabas, of his conflict with the church in Jerusalem, and eventually of his imprisonment, and of the fact that the community surrounding the gospel can live if it's willing to, in effect, abandon the ship, which is what the shipwreck symbolizes. But what's interesting, at one point during that journey, there is metaphoric reference to Paul's imprisonment. And so you'd think at that point, once Paul is imprisoned in this recounting of Paul's missionary work, that Paul would no longer speak. But in the very next verse, in Acts chapter 27, 
Paul stands up and gives a word in the middle of the boat. Even though Paul has been imprisoned, even though Paul has faced all this adversity, and at the end of Acts, we know that Paul is going to go to his death, and it parallels the death of Jesus Christ in the Gospels, it doesn't matter because his word was written and handed down. It was deposited. So even if Paul is gone, it's as though Paul is still here. And so it's striking that King Herod, who represents the enemy of God because he's not just a king, because the kings of the earth already are God's opponent, but a king who claims the throne of God in Jerusalem, which was the sin of the people in the Old Testament. They wanted an earthly king. Now this false god, Herod, is terrified because even though he killed John the Baptist, who was a metaphor for the Apostle Paul in the narrative arc and the poetry of the Gospel of Mark, and also connected to Elijah, there are all these interconnected metaphors. It's interesting and powerful that Herod is terrified. He killed John the Baptist, but he's still stuck with the teaching of John the Baptist. You can imprison Paul and kill him, but you can't stop Jesus Christ. That's what's going on here in Mark. And here at the point that King Herod heard about Jesus and Jesus was becoming popular, Herod had already killed John the Baptist. So Mark is going back to tell the story of John the Baptist. And I think it's significant too what you say, Father, about the end of Acts because the conversion, so to speak, of the centurions and the soldiers, that at first when Paul said, hey, we really shouldn't take this trip, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they go and they talk to the captain and the ship owner. Then once they end up in a wreck, the centurions and the soldiers are willing to do whatever Paul says, even to the point of slicing away the lifeboats and going onto a desert island. And what happens? They all reach their port alive. And even when they meet the natives in Malta, the natives restock them with everything they're going to need for the rest of their journey. Because these are the people, the barbarians, which is important terminology in Acts, that those who are on the inside in Jerusalem have no respect for. These are the unchurched, the savages, the enemies. It's technical terminology. Barbarian is to the Roman or to the Jew in late antiquity what terrorist is or communist was to Americans in this century. Those are the untouchables, the scary, dangerous people. And the barbarians in Acts show hospitality to Paul. So here you have this beautiful, beautiful confrontation where once again the imposter King Herod is exposed as the enemy of God so that the gospel can continue its work despite him for the sake of the barbarians. And again we also see that the people are distracted by the miraculous powers not realizing that it's not the miraculous powers that are back from the dead but in fact the teaching which is continuing in spite of John's death. But others were saying he is Elijah, and others were saying he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. Here, I think the writer of the gospel is giving you a kind of breadcrumb, a nugget to say, look, I'm presenting you the story of John the Baptist and the story of Jesus, but I'm telling you how to understand the story of Elijah and what the story of Elijah means for the Roman Empire what the story of Elijah means for the people of Israel. That's how literature works. It's not a question of who's who and whose identity and what identity, because it's a story. 
once you understand that, it unlocks the beauty and the genius of this literature. Go beyond the Jordan. That is the mantle of Elijah. That is the push in Ezekiel. The God of Ezekiel is God over all nations. And Mark was written to carry the gospel, the Torah, the teaching of this God to all the nations. There are no barbarians in the New Testament. But when Herod heard of it, he kept saying, John, whom I beheaded, has risen. King Herod has the power of death, whom I beheaded, but realizes he does not have the power of life, has risen. He's like King Ahaz, shaking in his boots, because God has sent the enemies of Jerusalem to besiege Jerusalem, and he doesn't trust in God. Herod is a coward. He's a coward in the gospel who kills little babies to protect his throne. He's a coward in Mark who would kill a man of God, a prophet, in order to protect his throne. What Mark is telling you is what the Bible has already told you, that people who love power and crave it are chickens. They kill out of cowardice under the pretense of might and strength. But we know from Psalm 2 that there is only one king on Mount Zion and all the other kings tremble at his presence and he scoffs at them. This is what Mark is telling you. And if only he were protecting his throne, I think he's just trying to protect himself from his (laughs) mother-in-law. Not even God can help you with that. Although I must say for the record, I love my mother-in-law. She's an excellent lady. For Herod himself had sent and had John arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias the wife of his brother Philip, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Nathan, the prophet, when King David goes and he takes Uriah's wife, he's taking what isn't his. John is functioning like Nathan did with David. Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death and could not do so. So Herodias had a grudge against John, because she was the mother of this girl. She was a stage mom. She wanted her daughter to marry the best person that she could. She was married to the brother of the king. Awesome. Now she's going to marry the king? Even better. But now you've got some prophet, some guy, some guy from out in the desert saying, no, 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 you can't get married. Now Herodias, obviously, who has a lot of ambition through her daughter, wants her to marry the best person possible so she has trouble with this John the Baptist. For Herod was afraid of John knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and he kept him safe and when he heard him he was very perplexed but he used to enjoy listening to him. So Herod is a chicken and he's a coward like all kings. He is influenced by the designs of his court, by the desires of the mob, by the threat to his power, the threat to his popularity. And so, even knowing that John was a holy man, he was willing to sell him out for self-preservation. And interestingly, that's the same behavior of Pontius Pilate. And I want to call this out for our listeners. People hear the Gospels and they say, the Gospel favors the Roman Empire. But that's an illiterate reading of the Gospel. You say that because the Gospel is so critical of Judah but it's critical of Judah because the gospel is critical of the authors of the gospel who are from Judah. It's the way the literature works. 
But you're presented with these figures that represent earthly power that are all compromised. But there's a deeper human tendency that's revealed in Herod too, which is he really liked listening to John the Baptist. He was afraid of John the Baptist, which meant that he had respect for his teaching. So this is the true tragedy when faced with the teaching versus someone against the teaching. What choice is he going to make? This is not an obvious choice for poor Herod. Herod should have gone with the teaching hell or high water. But unfortunately, he's going to make a bad decision on which. So he hears the teaching, but he doesn't follow the teaching. This is the problem. A strategic day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you want, and I will give it to you. So once again, it's the classic mocking of the king. What is a king? He's an egotistical, self-serving monster who does not act as the father or the protector of his people the way God would. He acts on his own behalf, and he's willing to throw away a holy man because he thought a girl was pretty when she danced. And she pleased his dinner guests as well. So he was trying to impress his dinner guests, not just the girl. Right, the strategic day. Once again, we need to make sure we give bread and circuses to the mob so that they support our station. And he swore to her, Whatever you ask of me, I will give it to you up to half my kingdom. The God of Abraham is not interested in our oaths because we pledge ourselves to our own gain, to our own profit. There's no pledge, there's no oath. There is only one statement, and that is the word of God. Herod here is swearing against himself, which is a kind of blasphemy. Exactly. It's a kind of blasphemy because he's making an oath about the stuff as if he owns it, as if it is his, and he's willing to give up whatever is his. He is under the illusion that it belongs to him and that he is its steward and that he has to do it rather than simply following the teaching that supposedly he was listening to and he feared. Imagine a king in Israel saying the land belongs to me or this land belongs to us. My kingdom the King Herod says. The last time I read scripture I'm pretty sure that it said it was God's land and God's kingdom and she went out and said to her mother what shall I ask for and she said the head of John the Baptist. Herodias is the only one who's consistent logically and not afraid. She's willing to do whatever she has to in order to do the thing that she needs to do. And although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her. So all it took was a little bit of embarrassment in front of his dinner guests, and he's willing to give up the teaching and try to snuff out the teaching even. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded him to bring back his head, and he went and had him beheaded in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother... When his disciples heard about this, they came and took away his body and laid it in a tomb. He felt very sorry. He was sad about betraying the teaching, but he was still going to betray the teaching. The interesting thing about this terminology at the end, Richard, like so much terminology in the New Testament, it echoes the terminology of the passion of Jesus Christ. So the disciples came and took his body away and laid it in a tomb. Now, in the story of Jesus Christ, it's the women who run to the tomb to take care of the body and so forth. In different Gospels, different people ask for the body of Jesus. 
the point here is that we're talking about death and resurrection and the power of the word of the prophet to break through the bonds of death because you can kill John the Baptist, you can kill Jesus Christ, but you're still stuck with the commandment of the Lord. When the body is in the tomb, the word is still out there, and this is why King Herod is so afraid in this whole scene. You can kill Jesus only once, as I always tell folks. You can kill the prophet only once. There's no going back from that action, and it's not an action that will bring you victory. So you burn that one chance, suddenly you're in the position of Herod because Jesus is back. He's coming. The prophet has risen. Paul is on the move. You've done everything you can by wielding the power of death. Now what are you going to do, Herod? Now what are you going to do? Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.